Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's really a pleasure to have you back with us here on the program, as always, uh, to have an opportunity to uh, discuss a wide variety of subjects and topics that that transcend the material world, sometimes into the metaphysical or spiritual world. Today, we are going to take a look at uh, an interesting subject with a returning guest. I love having this gentleman on our program Andrew Schmuckler is with, our, with us on the program. Andrew, it's welcome to, glad to, to have you back again. I, I love these conversations. Oh, glad to be back. Eager to go. I uh, I want to, to let you uh, give our listeners uh, the uh, the prelude, if you will, to uh, the conversation we're going to have today. I did listen to the article, as I mentioned before, that you sent me to, prem- to prepare me for our subject. And... It, it really was food for thought. Share with our listeners uh, the, the basics of our topic today. Well, uh, thank you for giving me such a clear field to lay it out for our audience. Um, well, it be, it's, the name of the piece is uh, The Wreckage That Utter Selfishness Wreaks Upon the Human World. Mm. And... Um, it it starts with the idea that is deep in uh, uh, religious traditions um, that selfishness is not the way the world should be run. Um, it, the, the idea of love thy neighbor as thyself or do unto others as you would have uh, others do unto you. It's those are messages which say that the, the the needs and well-being of the other should be given its due weight, and that the, one's own selfish interests shouldn't override uh, the proper respect for the rights and needs of others. That's what you know, and and you find that in Buddhism. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, uh, Rabbi Hillel uh, is supposed to so summarize uh, the religion, sta- standing on one foot, meaning very quickly. And, and what he says is a version of the golden rule, and this is two centuries before Jesus. He says, that which is hateful to others, do not, uh, would be, ha- that which would be hateful to you, do not do to others. Mm. So, so the, the, the idea of, uh, of selfishness being on the um, destructive side, um, the evil side, however you want to conceive of it, it's buried deep in our in our spiritual understanding as a species. Yet we've got a, a human world in which there are people dis- displaying right before our eyes such enormous selfishness. Mm. And then they have wedded that part of the human potential of selfishness to great power. And that's so dangerous. I, I discuss it with respect to three people who are prominent on the on the uh, on this the world stage at, mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. uh, in russia there's vladimir putin and i go through and i describe <clears throat> how his conduct represents complete selfishness 
to get what he wants, millions, tens of thousands die. Then there's Netanyahu in Israel. It can be shown that what he's been, what he has done, was a choice that served his personal interests, even though it quite predictably is having an enormously damaging effect on Israeli society and politics. You know, I can go in. I mean, I I can go into the details of that. You know, uh, but to take it from me. He's doing it for himself and he's wrecking the country. And then the third example after Putin and Netanyahu I talk about is Donald Trump. And he's demonstrated selfishness like, like we've never seen and I've never seen another human being do so consistently. With, he did it with respect to sacrificing American national security in that whole first impeachment business where he was extorting Ukraine. He it was a, a violation of the law that he was holding on to that money, and he did it to get them to help him politically. He wanted what he wanted for himself, and he was willing to sacrifice the interests of the nation he was elected to, to, to be the commander-in-chief of. Utter selfishness. And then the pandemic came, and we know from, uh, from the uh, um, Homeland Security person uh, at the middle of uh, uh, Mike Pence's staff she saw how Trump responded to the pandemic. All he cared about was, how do I use this situation to my political advantage? He didn't give a damn about protecting the American people. And, and studies have shown that more than 100,000 more American lives were lost because of it. But this utter self, so we got these three people playing these enormous roles in, in the world. And making the world much more damaged. American democracy is in danger. Israeli democracy, security, and economy are in danger. And, and the peace of Europe has been shattered. Very destructive stuff. So why is that? Why is it that we've got such a prominent role being played by such monsters. And that gets me to the better human story, which is you know, what I claim to be able to explain, that there's a force of brokenness working in the world that, that prevents us from realizing, uh, fr from going in the directions we might want to go. And, and that's sort of the, you know, we, we don't have to get into that, but, you know, the heart of my life's work is we got we don't understand well enough why the world's so messed up. And we think it's got to do with we are these ugly creatures, you know. We let people like like uh, Hitler and uh, play such you know as, as big a role as any other human being in, in the 20th century. You know, when Time magazine was going to come out with its uh, turn of the millennium issue and is asking what person had the biggest impact on civilization. They chose Einstein. I actually think that if you're honest about who had the biggest impact uh, on the 20th century, you'd put Hitler on the cover. But that's too damn depressing. But the thing is, 
the world in, taking the step into civilization unleashed a force that meant that the spirit of the gangster was going to have a disproportionate say in how human civilization would develop. And that's what I try to show. That's not where I was, where this conversation needs to go. But the whole idea of selfishness and its destruction ties into something that we unleashed when we took a step that had never before been taken in the history of life on Earth. I can't hear you. I can't hear you, Richard. Here's an interesting sidebar to that question or to what you've brought up. Um, you have these three individuals in our modern time. You could go back, you know, centuries and pick out three more and three more and three more. Yeah, there's lots of gangsters. In sure. But here's the thing that that blows me away. They don't get to where they are unless they have found a way to convince the people around them to follow them. And the individuals who follow refuse to see the reality of what is what's happening, the destruction, the wreckage. Well, uh, let me break, break in if I Please, may. please do, because you know where I'm going with this. Well, but I think you'll be surprised where I'm going uh, to address that. Um, so uh, the way I see history, and, and this is what I, you know, I've focused on, um, the convincing of people uh, uh, to follow a Hitler or um, it, it's not always the people who get to choose. Mm -hmm. um, now, in the case of America, our we how it came to be that there was a Republican base that would choose this guy when given a, a wide way of, it was a democratic process. Mm -hmm. And it really is important for us to ask, why is it that a person like this was able to inspire enough people to be the nominee for president of one of America's two major parties? That is a big question, which I've been pondering for years. But in the case of Russia, if you see how did he get to where he was, it's not really through a democratic process. It's not as bloody as what Saddam Hussein did, mm -hmm. wading through blood to get to it. But what Saddam Hussein did was typical of what happened in in general, when in terms of the uh, of the utterly selfish gangster being in the, the gangsters seized power the 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 warlords that uh, ravaged the, the europe in the dark ages who ended up being uh the and the aristocrats because they conquered uh, the people they turned into serfs and built their castles and vulnerable on the hills and such that's the process it's been a process of mere power but now now the methods of propaganda play our front and center. And even Putin, he doesn't just let people hear any old thing. He controls what they hear in order to control their consciousness. So mm. 
in that respect, you know, the democratic age has made even the tyrants. And, and it was always the case. I mean, if you look at all the ways in which selfish people have exploited the poor and the, and the weak, it has involved uh, certain kinds of propaganda, whether it's the way, say, Christianity evolved to facilitate the domination of the many by the few. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dostoevsky's Grand Inquisitor. There are forces that are continually working. And I think we should look at Trump and Putin and Netanyahu and their ilk, not as isolated individuals who happen to, at the same time, to wreak havoc on the human world, but as signals of how our world is disordered all the ways in which has to be made more whole so that somebody like that can never come to become the president of the United States, that it would never be possible again that a guy like Putin, who's a human monster, could be in command of a massive nuclear arsenal and threaten the world by rattling his nuclear saber. Humankind can't afford to have that kind of monster, have that kind of power. We may well survive this particular crisis, but we didn't come, you know, it's not a sure thing yet. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. And and we've, (laughs) we've come a long way and we've got a long way to go. Uh, and um, we're going to continue to discuss this as we talk with uh, 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 my special guest and friend here on the program, Andrew Schmuckler, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and it is really a pleasure to have uh, Andy uh, with us here on the program. Andrew is with us here to talk about this aspect of uh, the wreckage, and I mentioned uh, uh, that uh, it gave me food for thought in terms of what I've done in my life and some of the choices I have made that have, so to speak, left wreckage behind. Um, and were you being too, is the implication there that you're looking at times when you feel like you were more selfish than you, than you ought to have been? That or that um, my needs, uh, and, and this is obviously a selfish aspect, um, uh, <laughs> to borrow a Star Trek phrase, my needs outweighed the needs of the few or the many. Um and it's my first divorce and going through that process. And again, we, we, each one of us can find all do, kinds do of you, different spots. I, I mean, one of the things I'd want to say is selfishness. Um, we're talking about excessive. Right. Your, yeah. Your yeah. examples are excessive the, selfishness. But yeah, regardless... They're, they're, this whole they're, thing they're, was a food for thought for me. It really was. So, well, anyway, I just want to make the distinction that mm-hmm. by unselfishness, I don't. I, I think that we also have a responsibility to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, like I, I watch old movies. Uh, I love old movies, and, and and oftentimes the drama, somebody, often a woman, will, um, out of selflessness, give up more than she should. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's how I feel. I mean, there is, uh, we, you know, like, like we should eat well. 
Yeah. And and we should get exercise. And we should also treat with respect our, our needs. And sometimes that means saying no to giving priority to someone else's desires or needs. So mm -hmm. it, it, there's always matters of judgment about what what crosses the line into, well, that's not what you should do. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, um, the thing that is really intriguing to me about this subject is not only the, uh, th this aspect of the, this extreme, we'll call it extreme selfishness, as opposed to maybe um, responsible self-care. And for me, the divorce was that. Responsible uh, self-care? Self yeah, yeah, I just could not Good. continue to live. And many, many men and women, um, they feel the same way that I can't w live. Were, like were there children anymore. involved then? Is no, part of no, no children. Thank you. Oh, so, so, whose needs were you uh, having to sacrifice? The, 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 the your spouse? Um, actually, no. It was more. There were no needs that she needed to be fulfilled, other than to have somebody who would stay and pay the bills. But I mean, who you say you left wreckage? Well, wreckage from the standpoint that <clears throat> I was going through the file, the divorce file that I had kept for a number of years. And I swore to myself as I was shredding the file, I wasn't going to read any of the documents. I wasn't going to read any of the emails that had been printed on and so forth. But what did I do? I just chose one. I just pulled it out of the thing, not really knowing what it was. And I started reading it. And it, it was sharing with me uh, my, my former wife's best friend's perspective on what I had done to my former wife. And the things she was going through during the divorce process and so on and so forth. Well, I, 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 I don't know how far into the weeds you want to go with that, but did, did it make you feel uh, bad to I, um, to read her, uh, her her depiction of what you'd done? And did I, you and did you feel she was fair in her assessment? I did not think she was fair, but at the same time, yes, I did feel I did feel a, a bit of um, sadness. Uh, maybe, maybe even there was a bit of shame at first. But at the same time, the other thought that came into my mind was, hold on, Richard. There were two in the relationship. It's a 50-50 deal here. You cannot take responsibility for someone else's reaction to your actions. Well, let, 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 let me... Let me break in and sure. say that um, everything that you said in, in indicates that um, that preserving the the marriage um, was not doing either party uh, any real good. That's correct. Um, it, it seems like if you come to that and there are no children involved correct i i ended a, a marriage um and there were two children involved and, and that made it really very complicated um my solution was that i too felt and i think for very good reason that it was not life-serving for this marriage to continue and my solution to the to the um moral aspect of it is, you know, I need to do this 
and I commit to doing everything for this these children that I can from this moment and through the duration to help them emerge from this unfortunate circumstance as whole and as fulfilling fulfilled as they can. Yeah. And um, I did work very hard at it and I'm very proud of the, and they had, did have something to deal with, mm -hmm. but they became special people in the process of dealing with it. Right. Right. Well, and, and, what has has been interesting in that kind of retrospect of that or any other uh, scenario, first of all, um, I have no regrets, meaning that when uh, to me, regret is if I could only go back and make a different choice. You can't. I can't. It is what it is. And I now need to move forward and realize, take responsibility for my choices. Not for her reaction to my choice, but for well, my just, choices. You, you learn what you can from yeah. your experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you live your life as best uh, mm -hmm. you're able, based on all the things you've learned, uh, both the true and the false. Yeah. However, unfortunately, the people that we're talking about here today, the three people in particular that yeah. uh, that sort of symbolize uh, the collective of all of the others that are on the, on the planet doing the same kind of thing, but at a, to a lesser degree, maybe. And going right. back through history and how yeah. people like this have 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 always had too much space on the human stage. Yeah, but they don't think this way. They don't care about re personal responsibility. They only want what they want. And it was said by one of the uh, it was actually one of the Republican candidates for the nomination in, for 2024. Um, that uh, specifically uh, former President 45 uh, is not running for any other reason than to stay out of prison. Well, yeah, this my is Representative Heard. Uh, yeah. It, it was a great statement and he got booed. He got booed. And what's funny is I have heard this. I don't know if this is true or not. We don't need to go down this particular road, but I thought this was interesting because of his comment that if but by some, I don't know what, um, that he were to be reelected as well as face his trials and go to prison. There's no prohibition against him being president in prison that I know of. Well, I, I, I do want to say something about, about okay. this. Going down this road a little bit, because I think about, you know, I'm here talking about my better human story, you know, yes. which, is, which, which is the core of what I got to say. But I, uh, half of me is always being engaged for the last 20 years mm -hmm. in the, the immediate political realm. So um, I, I publish op-eds, you know, about, about it. Uh, the, the situation with um, with Trump is that um, there's not a legal battle uh, that's really being fought because this is practically the most powerful imaginable um, indictment of the most serious imaginable crimes for, in, in America 
that there is no way that this can be other than a test of whether democracy is going to prevail. That Trump is running to keep himself out of prison, which is say he's running to have his will triumph over the rule of law. And the only way he would get to do that, because the, the case, I mean, I have followed this case. I, I would love to take a long essay test, you know. <laughs> I, I'm a junkie on this stuff. I yeah. follow it every day and I think about about it. And and Andrew Weissman has given me a, a course in, 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 in these these matters on MSNBC. I, I love learning this stuff. Anyway, it's an open and shut case. I mean, of course, he gets this so-called presumption of innocence. But all that means is, and I need, I know he's guilty, and I could honestly serve as a juror because I, I, I would be willing to say, I will vote based on what I see in court. You've got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, and he gets to defend himself according to the rules of, of evidence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I have no doubt, you know, I, 99 to 1, even, even more than that, that Jack Smith is going to prove the crimes and Donald Trump has no defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, I mean, I watch Law and Order. I mean, this, this case is like Big Bertha. Uh, compared to a, a 22 rifle or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They've got it. I mean, they've got them. I hope that the thing is televised because the American people really need to see what's going to be shown. Yeah. But the the battles being fought out at the level of politics. And, and yes. Trump has been very clear. I mean, he's been very clear and very clever. He's been cultivating his political battle and he's got his base pretty solid behind him. It looks to, it looks as though if somebody tells the truth, like the other quote from Will Hurd, you know, he's running to stay out of prison. And he and he says, you know, political leaders should tell their people their truth. Well, they don't want the truth. At least it's a big segment of them. Mm -hmm. And I don't and, and they're not going to be moved. But I do believe that all the signs are that the majority of the American people, and I, I wasn't always clear how this was going to go, but this is what lost in 2020, and it's going to lose by more unless something quite unforeseen by me is going to happen, because the evidence is that while Trump has got his, I don't know, 25 30% of the uh, American electorate. The, the rest of the people have been migrating to the rejection of that. And so I believe that Trump is going to win the nomination because he's got, he's got that base. And the whole question of what is going on with those people, that's another question. But he's got that base. But he's in the process of losing more and more of the American people. The percentages uh, who, who think he's done something wrong have gone from 60-something to the high 70s, if I, if I recall what I've seen. There's a migration taking place. And so 
I'm hoping that the 2024 election will mark a substantial movement in the direction of real, the, the spirit of the gangster relinquishing mm -hmm. its grip on one of America's two great political parties. We need to get back to a, an America in which our, we're a two-party nation unless we change some of the rules of the game. That's just what cranks out since the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have two parties and we need to have a conservative party that stands for something and is willing to work co uh, besides getting power and is willing to work cooperatively uh, to some de meaningful degree for the good of the nation. The America you and I grew up in was capable of enough of that, that we could call the American political system basically functional. Uh, I, I, I came of age in the 50s. Eisenhower was president. You know, the Democrats controlled this or that. You know, they worked together. They got some things done all the way up through... Uh, People could get things done up and through the Bush, the first Bush administration, yeah. and, and and then it, and then things the dynamics start to change. Yeah. So so we need for the twenty twenty four election to represent an occasion where this movement of the American people in this battle between what I think should be seen as democracy versus fascism. That, you know, that's how I conceive of it. And I can lay it out why that basically is the issue. I think that the, the spirit that has taken over the Republican party, making it virtually unrecognizable compared to the Republican Party of Eisenhower or Ford or Reagan in the first Bush, that that spirit needs to to uh, be driven out of the party. Mm. And, 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 and something better that can play a constructive role in, 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 in as America, Americans use the political system to navigate their way into the future. I don't know how much we can look, hope for something good because the Republican Party's had problems for a very long time, you know, including, a, for example, on the issue of climate change. I debated a Republican uh, from, from around here in Virginia uh, on television about climate change 25 years ago. I mean, the Republican Party didn't just drop into, I mean, there's a, a challenge to human survival and they're choosing to do the bidding of the fossil fuel industry. You know, Trump didn't invent the problems over there, but, yeah. but maybe we can get a party in which some really good people with integrity, you know, right now the Republican party punishes integrity. Like who, who in the Republican party has shown integrity? Immediately what comes to mind is Liz Cheney. Cheney, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Liz Cheney, you know, I, I, I remember how I used to feel about her, I mean, and how I felt about her father. Nonetheless, when the chips were down on the basic question of fascism versus democracy, she knew she had taken an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, and she had to, she had to take a stand for the truth. 
that the, the Constitution needed to be protected, and she voted to impeach uh, uh, um, Donald Trump for his serious crimes. And then on the committee, she played this beautiful role. I mean, she was magnificent on the committee. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to be able to give one of these right wingers their their due, but you know, there she was. Yeah, there she was not showing whatever parts of her have made her take positions on some of the issues we fight about over, or, you know, basically what kind of society do we want to be? Okay. She, she's got a different vision of that, but we agree on the fundamental issue that's at stake right now. And that was at stake after uh, January 6th, which are we going to be a democracy or are we going to let somebody seize power against the will of the American people as it expressed itself through a constitutional and legitimate election that had never happened before. And she wasn't going to stand for it. Yeah. So we need a party of people who stand for something. Yeah. Sounds to me uh, uh, like um, you're uh, you're advocating uh, that the Republican Party needs to uh, undergo an exorcism of sorts. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Drive out the evil spirit. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I mean, I I don't know how that actually works in, you know, other than in the movie. Um, But, you know, I, I, I think. I think that there probably is some kind of condition that people can get into yeah. um, uh, in which something like an evil spirit is something like in control. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not, it's not just something that people made up, is it? No. And, and, and they've also said to, and you've heard this uh, on countless occasions, I'm sure over the last uh, eight years uh, that uh, right now, uh, the uh, number 45 has basically created a cult. The, these people are part of a cult. Uh, well, and I'm, I'm trying to, like I said before, I mean, I've, I my, myself personally have never sought after a particular individual to follow on a metaphysical or spiritual level. There's just been nobody. But there have been a lot of people who uh, have lived and passed on, who I have admired, who I have enjoyed talking with. So, so and, you're you're saying that you were never looking for what some people find in a cult. No, no, and, not and, at all. And I expect you're puzzled, as am I, of just how it works that people would want a cult leader like yeah. that. Well, I love this one comedian I was listening to on YouTube who was talking about how, you know, he'd like to start a cult, but he doesn't know where to start. So he's standing there at this gathering of people and he says, uh, talking to somebody says, and they say, hi, my name is Bill. Uh, What do you do? He says, uh, oh, yeah, my name is uh, George and uh, I, I'm I'm a cult leader. Oh, really? Really? Uh, yeah, but I I don't have any followers yet because I don't know where to begin, <laughs> which is probably just as well. Can we're I, talking I, with we're talking with Andrew Schmuckler, and uh, we'll be uh, talking with him as we continue here on. Tell me your story. Andrew Schmuckler is my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. And uh, you were going to expound on what I was just saying in regards to uh, this comedian talking about how he wanted to be a cult leader, but didn't have any followers because he didn't know how to start. You know, I've spent my whole life trying to understand things. And, uh, you know, I I love I love that quest. It it can be challenging, but uh, I mean, it it always is challenging. Um, But there's a question that I've been uh, wrestling with. And um, 
about understanding. Uh, I live among, uh, you know, I live in an area which is 70-30 pro-Trump. And back in the, um, in the 90s, I, I did talk radio uh, with that audience um, in the Shenandoah Valley. And I loved it. And I, I loved them. Uh, I, it was, it was, we, we formed a, a good bond uh, from my sort of liberal bent, uh, talking about issues that we all thought were meaningful, uh, them with their conservative uh, perspective. Uh, and I had great respect um, for the conservative values that they propounded, and and to and many of them anyway seemed also to live by. Uh, so that was the experience out of which I came when sort of the, an evil spirit took over the political party that they supported, and I had a ringside seat to watch a transformation so that we end up with people I know to be intelligent believing things that are so obviously false that I wonder, how, how does that happen? And, and people that I know from having experienced them, and, and as neighbors too, uh, uh, I don't regard them as enemies. Um, uh, there are, there, there, there's a fellow I argue with online whom I love in some respect because he's such a splendid guy. I wonder how such decent people are able to give their wholehearted, unquestioning support to something which is so manifestly and openly indecent. Hmm. I, I, you know, I've written columns about how the Republican Party acts quite the opposite of what Jesus teaches. You know, mm -hmm. all these good Christians have this, are his followers. The, 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 this guy is assaulting the constitutional order, yet these people who say they revere the Constitution are following the guy who is trying to undo it for his own purposes. These people who back in the 90s spoke eloquently, and I think sincerely, about how essential good character is, which was one of the issues between the right and the left during the 90s, just to remind people who, who, who were around. That was, that was the, the right wing wanted, wanted there to be more attention to character. Those same people now are supporting, uh, are the followers uh, of a, have made a cult leader of a guy who has more profound defects of character than anybody I ever saw. I mean, how many people can be such a bully, such a liar, so selfish, so greedy, so power hungry, so cruel? I mean, he's got the whole thing mm -hmm. and he shows it right out there. And these people who are talking about good character, they're his followers. Yeah. And I don't understand how that got, how, where they got led into, where the intelligence got turned off and 
and and the contradictions could exist without there having any sense that there was a contradiction. I have a question for you in regards to this concept of wreckage. Is there is there something or anything that we could should learn from the wreckage that will help us down the road to make a better human story? Well, my work is try, trying to show the reason for the wreckage. Okay. I, I talk about there being a force of brokenness mm-hmm. or a, for, a, a force of destruction. And I like to call it, uh, actually, and I think this is this is how I think it's best to understand it. Um, but I don't insist on it because I, I know there's a lot of resistance to this word. I've been dealing with this for, for, for since 2005, but a force of evil. Uh, I define evil. I have a definition, a coherent force that consistently works to make the human world worse. And then I try to show how you can see it. And I try to explain how it inevitably arose how a creature stepping across the threshold into civilization inevitably unleashes a force of mm. that kind, yeah. which you can see moving through the world, a, a coherent force that moves in shape-shifting ways. And part of that is manifested in the world when you see something like a a, a, a nation like Russia that produced great literature and great music is being completely dominated by a greedy power hungry man mm. it's uh, it is it's very interesting to look at present day and obviously see the the similarities down through history uh and i i i guess i'm one of those uh, naive individuals who believes that uh it could it really can be better we really as using your phrase we really can create a better human history or human story and uh uh it's just as um as i was interviewing uh uh, former senator dennis deconcini of arizona and this goes back probably 30 years and we were they were they were having the debates over a, a balanced budget amendment to the constitution and i I said, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. You, you know, you people there on in, on Capitol Hill, aren't, isn't that your job? You're supposed to balance the budget every year. Why do you need a constitutional amendment, you know, and so forth? And, uh, uh, you know, why can't you just balance the budget? And this was his comment to me, which I think applies to what we're talking about here, and that his response was very short and simple. There isn't the will on Capitol Hill. To get it done. And I was well, I was blown away because I wanted to follow up, but he had to go vote. Well, and well, and he well, said, me, I, I was going to follow up with the well, but wait a minute, you're a member of that body. Why can't you exert some kind of uh, um, statement, if you will, uh, position in, you know, in the years that you've been there to say, look, folks, we need to fix this. We need to do this because this is our job. Like right now under current, uh, um, house, uh, house speaker, uh, McCarthy, they aren't doing anything other than going after and, and, and seeking revenge and retribution rather than doing the people's business. Well, I, I'm a little hung up on the balanced budget amendment because I. Well, that's <laughs> an example. I, I, well, but you know, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I, 
that that is not something that um, is some valuable step uh, forward for the the, the nation. But uh, but that, sure. that, that's not that's not what's important to say no. here. When I talk about a coherent force, um, it it manifests itself throughout uh, the human world. It, all these things ramify. Um, for example, you say, well, you, actually, it turned out that you acquitted yourself of having done the wrong thing uh, back when you left what you said was wreckage. I still don't see the wreckage, but, but in, in any event, uh, not you then, but anyone else who looks at the, they're having done uh, out, out of selfishness, having done something that wasn't what was best uh, for the world. Um, it, it, the, the way that people can be cruel to each other, uh, the way that people can be unwilling to confront reality, the, the way that um, people can be uh, uh, driven to make uh, everything about something about about conflict and never have a, an appetite cooper for cooperation, or how we can have an industry that's willing to sacrifice the human future in it for its own short-term profits, or whether we have an international system where a nuclear power can invade its neighbor for no for no justification at all. All these ways in which things are broken. And, and what we find on Capitol Hill is just, you know, another part of the human world that contains elements that are uh, that are less than they should be. Hmm. And and whatever we can move forward is part of how we will move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, if we get our kids to be brought up in ways that, that don't injure them so much or or deaden them so much, uh, we'll be able to tap into, um, uh, you know, more uh, of the energy that can move the rest of the system forward. We don't want broken people in our society. Oh, and that brings us back to well, how is it that these people, what, what, what was broken in them that could allow this contradiction? Mm -hmm. to uh, coexist within their minds. Um, and, and what's broken in them that they can, you know, say that they believe the election was stolen, even though, I mean, there's very little in the human world that's been established so irrefutably <laughs> as that the election wasn't being stolen. And, and the consequence of that obvious reality, all the 60 cases and recounts and all that stuff, the obvious implication is that Donald Trump himself was trying to steal the election. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. trial is going to show that he, he knew full well that he had lost. And well, yet, one of, now, one of the yet, things that, that I found so fascinating, uh, Andrew, was that the the allegations that first started coming out and the statement that was made that, well, we were leading and we were ahead early in the evening and so on and forth. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, hold on a second. Do you know in the order in which ballots are counted? The ballots that are cast yeah, knew, at the poll. They knew full well. Well, but the, you're right. But 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 the people bought into it. And it's like, wait a minute. You need to know the procedure, the protocol. The ballots that were cast at the polling places are counted first. That's, you know, like one of the places where we heal uh, our society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, know, and this, you know, I hope we can do it in time. But yeah, anyway. 
we need to have an educational system. Yes. Who's the people who the people who graduate from high school uh, need to be sufficiently equipped that they could never be sold such a bill of goods. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. The you know we we know that the uh, the the initial count is going to be from the rural counties of Pennsylvania, and that Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, with their massive totals, are going to be coming in later. So you know, in Texas, it was in the other direction. The Democrats, you know, jump out to a, a, what looks like a health a healthy start, uh, only to get swamped later in ways that were entirely predictable. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to think, right? Right. You can't be. And, and and I, I used to think that um, the average person wasn't all that smart. You know, I, 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 I was good in school. You know, I was that kind of smart. And there's other other people who weren't necessarily that kind of smart. And, and I've learned over you know as my life has unfolded that. That people are, um, they've got they've got the smarts. I mean, a guy who can do a renovation is solving problems all the time, you know. And I, and I, I you know I, I don't have that, you know. I can take this kind of test and score high, but you know I I, I wouldn't be able to have solved that problem. Yeah. So so I think that. Some of these people have been have not been educated not to be conable. Mm-hmm. But then it's not just a matter so there's critical thinking. Right. If you don't mind, let me if I can go one more step. Please. You know, my business is putting all the pieces together. I hope people don't think it's too scattered. Um, but I'm conscious of um uh, the psychology of the Confederacy, uh, for want of a better phrase, I, I really immersed myself pretty deeply into that part of history. Both leading the South, how the South got to the point where average Southerners were willing to die to preserve slavery, which is a weird place to be, mm-hmm. all the way up to um, the uh, Jim Crow South where um, the Civil War was lied about and the lie was enforced. And they made heroes of people who shouldn't have been made heroes. And so they've been buying a bill of goods about what the Confederacy was about. And those same people now don't want their children to learn about you know, essentially the history of uh, race relations in, in our society. I mean, there, there's no way of understanding. I mean, I, I I don't like throwing the words racism around too lightly, but, you know, what's undeniable is that um, the relationship between the races was a central part of the history. I mean, our whole, our, our central national nightmare had to do with something about race relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's no way you can you can understand your the history taking that off the page. But there there's a brokenness 
that you can see that has been built into the culture where people have been buying lies from certain kinds of trusted authorities for generations. You know, it wasn't about slavery. It was the war of Northern aggression. that was about states' rights. You know, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. It's simply a lie. You look at the, what, so, and, and there it is right in black and white, just like the court cases are with, with Trump's losing. Mm -hmm. They have been, there were the statements when the state seceded, they said, we're fighting for slavery. I mean, they didn't put it that way. I mean, uh, Alexander Stevens was the vice president of the Confederacy in his most famous speech. He says that they have a, the sacred principle that the white race is superior to the black race and that the black, the subordination to the white race is the proper place for, for the black man. That's their sacred principle. And it's right there. It's at the heart of the Confederacy. And then they go into denial. So it's not just that the South. I mean, you can look all over the world and you'll find mm -hmm. that people are carrying with them aspects of brokenness that one way or another has grown out of our tormented history. We just got to start healing wherever we can touch. Mm -hmm. In our own lives, mm -hmm. in our politics, in our relationships with loved ones and neighbors and opponents and with and with ourselves yeah make ourselves more whole yeah if it's it's like uh uh you know be the change that you want to see you want to see some healing you want to see some wholeness you want to see uh some fixing of the brokenness if you will and start working on yourself. And then other people are going to start to see that and go, boy, he seems, she seems to be happy and she seems to be joyous about life. Doesn't, doesn't mean that she or he doesn't have, you know, uh, trials and tribulations throughout, you know, challenges that they must meet. No, we all are going to, we're going to have them regardless, but then we can in, face in them. Addition, in yeah, addition with, to, if I may say something. Sure, please. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. No, no, no. Go ahead, please. I'm filled with the spirit. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So where just just give me one word of reminder where we just were. Uh, basically talking uh, about this whole aspect of healing the brokenness in self. Yeah. There's also, um, you know, there's a degree to which um, we're going to remain having brokenness at least mm -hmm. at least that's my experience um there but there's also we get to make decisions about what aspect of ourselves we put out in the world what's going to, and what's going to govern um I, I, there's a lot that i don't like or at least it isn't what i would choose to be that i can see in my moment to moment being there's a lot that I do like, but you know, I, I could certainly see improvements. But the one place that I feel that I'm true to is that I'm very careful to do my very best about what I put out into the world. That the world shouldn't have to deal with what's wrong with me. That's my job. The world should get what's best from me. I think we can all try to make 
that uh, distinction. But anyway, I haven't. I, I I gave up on perfecting myself a, a while back. <laughs> I worked on it for a long time, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, and I'm I'm obviously I I'm guessing here younger than you, sixty three. Uh, and, um, I haven't stopped. I'm still working. There may come a point where I say, you know what I've done all I can do. You know, there's only so much remodeling you can do with, with a 200 year old house. Okay. Uh, without tearing the whole thing down and starting over. Um, but, uh, um, uh, in any case, uh, we certainly encourage people to do what they can while they can. And, you know, that may, uh, you may reach, uh, our, our guest, uh, Andrew Schmuckler's point. We're saying <laughs> I'm done. Okay. I'm, I'm perfect the way I am. If you take me or leave me. And that's uh, the name of that story. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's unlikely that anybody would be able to, that I'm satisfied with myself, mm -hmm. you know, um, which is different. And that's that's but, important. That's very it, important. It really is. You know, I, I I've I've taken on the uh, you know the the task of of becoming the human being I should be, and um, you know I I don't mind people take you know assessing how far along that path I got. It it's uh, you know could be improved, but hey, everybody's human. It's just you know. Doing the best job we can. That's it right there. That's it. That's a sort of part of the title of a song I wrote called I'm a Good Man Doing the Best I Can. Here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan with Andrew Schmuckler, and uh, we're talking about uh, how we can uh, write, if you will, as well as live a better human story. Uh, you know, we've we've got a lot that we have done that has left, as we've been discussing here, a lot of wreckage along the way. Uh, and that's just kind of the way it is, okay? We can't go back and change it. That is what is. The question is, are we going to continue to do it this way, or are we going to find ways to minimize the wreckage and make this a better place for all people? Uh, and uh, Andrew, I want to go ahead. Yeah, I just want to bring those two things together. I, I, don't, I don't think we – I think we should accept less than perfect. Uh, because as good as we can do is not going to be perfect. But nonetheless, I think the idea of perfection is important. That, that we, should, um, we should keep in mind uh, the ideal, the way things should be. Uh, because that's what we can use to guide ourselves in the, in it, in the direction of that. That, that. That aspiring to anything different from that would not maximize our ability to make a better human world. So I think that we should ask ourselves, what's, what would the world look like if it were perfect and, 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 and had this big space for human civilization? What would that look like? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and what can we do now to move in that direction? And that's what the image of perfection can do for us. We need a world in which somebody, uh, never again can anybody like Putin have the capacity to destroy human civilization. Yeah. Never it's, again can, yeah. Can, can we have human beings survive, responding ir so irresponsibly to the gathering catastrophe of climate change. Yeah. How do we get to there? Yeah. 
And there is a way. There is a way. It's just that we've got to we've got to uh, make some serious changes in our. Well, it's like you just said in ter- in terms of our educational system, critical thinking and so forth and so on. So uh, very important. Uh, uh, before we uh, let you go, uh, uh, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for uh, uh, sharing uh, this uh, this particular subject uh, with myself, as well as our listeners and viewers. Uh, to me, I think it's important to take a look at these things because um, I don't remember if it was you or someone else when I posed that that statement that many people would like to make about uh, where we are today, that if we uh, don't learn from history, uh, we're doomed to repeat it. And uh, uh, the response that I got from my guest at that time was, well, what are we supposed to learn? You know, what is it that we're supposed to learn from history so that we don't repeat it? And I, I at first I, I thought, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> How is it that you don't know this? Uh, to me, it seems it seems pretty self-evident that what we need to learn is how we did things wrong, but also how we did things right, you know, and um, they're, they're, they might be far and few between, but we did do some things right. And um, we can continue to do those, but we need to make certain adjustments. And I appreciate you bringing uh, bringing this uh, this subject, topic, and conversation uh, to the to the program. Well, I, I think one of the things that that has been done right is the um, constitutional order of the United States. Um, talk about imperfect, yeah, okay, but but still, in the context of all that went before. It was a giant step in the direction of changing the workings of the world, making it more whole because power would be an expression of the will of the people rather than being a will that imposes itself on the people. Mm -hmm. So that was a giant step forward. And we in America are now called upon to to rise up, to defend it from a force that would take us back yeah. to the t- time of tyranny. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we 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 fought a revolutionary war to get out from under the thumb of a uh, of a a king. We didn't want a king, you know? And um and yet that is basically right now what seems to be happening is there's one individual that says, "I shall be your king." And it's like, "No, that is not the I way shall be this- your not, not yeah. only you, I'm not a good king either. I, I shall be your retribution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk about peace on earth and goodwill toward, toward <laughs> men. He is just the opposite. He appeals well, to just the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Well, we um, I want to remind you, folks, uh, thank you for folks for listening and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. Wednesdays, our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we have podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher. Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these conversations. I hope you will. Hope you'll select notifications so that you can be notified when a new conversation is uh, is posted. And I'll tell you, folks, as of this conversation, we are 
we're not quite there yet, but we're fast approaching approaching 100,000 listens on uh, SoundCloud's analytics. And um, I guess that's not not too bad as we fast approach our uh, celebration of 15 years doing this program. So uh, very excited about that. We also ask that if you can support the work that we're doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And we also ask that you spend some time going within, listening to that still small voice and uh, do that in that quiet, peaceful complex, which, by the way, is uh, where you're going to get a lot of the good answers uh, that are going to help you personally. Uh, I, I don't get answers for other people. I don't get answers for other organizations. I only get answers to questions about me. And I'm trying to make those improvements. Uh, Andy has finished that process and uh, is is just fine the way he is. And we're grateful for him being with us on the program. And Andy, I'm going to ask you those three final questions that uh, uh, though you may have answered them the same way each time or different each time, either way, doesn't matter. I love asking these anyway. Uh, the first oh, yeah. of those is who uh, I, is Andrew Schmuckler? Um. I'm a guy who uh, whose life got shaped um, by seeing something when I was 24 uh, that still seems to me a, to be an enormously important piece of the truth that's not recognized. And um, the consequences of seeing that and believing that it was important to get it out has given me a path in life which has got its challenges. <laughs> it does. It does indeed. Um, and one of the challenges is that I'm 77 years old. And I do think that I've come up with something that actually could make a difference. I mean, that is simply what I think. Mm. And I feel like I don't have a lot of time left, probably, or certainly, I, I mean, not entitled to imagine, like when I was 20-something, uh, you know, that I've got a lifetime to accomplish this thing. You know, uh, there's a certain now or never aspect to it. And I really do believe it could make a difference. And I really do care. I really do care whether human civilization gets its act together so that human beings can flourish and, and and the biosphere can be healthy for the long haul. I mean, I, if somebody could tell me that's going to happen, that would take a great burden off my heart. Because mm. I think that there's about a 50-50 chance that in the course of the not so many generations, rather than our getting our act together, we will destroy ourselves mm -hmm. yeah. or, 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 or inflict such serious wounds that, you know, human civilization will, 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 will have essentially culminated in a catastrophe. Mm. So, I, so, so I'm a guy who thinks he's got something to say that could conceivably help us move toward one side of the toss up yeah. rather than the other. Yeah. I believe that mm -hmm. I'm stuck with that belief. And, and <laughs> so I come on a show like yours and I act like I believe something like that. At least mm -hmm. I fear that. I, and I fear, uh, I hope that people will see it as authenticity and not yeah. grandiosity. 
Right. Uh, it's something that I feel called to do. And I do with gratitude to you to giving me the opportunity to try to use our conversation to achieve something that I don't feel like I've succeeded at well enough yet. My second question for you is what is your life's purpose? <laughs> that's a, well, that's... see the above, you know, Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I, my life's purpose is to get a certain set of uh, understandings, a multidimensional understanding I've spent my life creating to see that su sufficiently embedded in the consciousness of the way people think about things you know like various ideas are always out there you know like uh you know artificial intelligence people are talking about uh, when, when i was growing up uh, freud and marx were were people who whose ideas sort of uh, were were widespread in the cultures both both in people studying them and people who who who, who imbibed them through the movies or something so my feeling, my what I feel compelled to do is whatever I can con conceive has any chance of helping get this way of seeing our situation, who we are, what our history has been, what is the nature of the challenge we face. If I, everything I can do, I will do. And there's a certain scariness to me about it because i don't know how people will perceive that but that that is what my life purpose is it's uh in spite of being a bit afraid to come out like this you know okay yeah so i'm afraid what's the what's the big deal final question i don't think i don't know if i've asked you this one or not but i'll ask it now what was your best day well, let's see this would be my third effort. I remember the first one, uh, which I, I'd be happy to stick with if I can't come up with something better. Um, <laughs> I, the, the day I met my uh, present wife um, in 19, April 21st, 1984 in Rock Creek Park in Washington uh, at a book party that was being thrown for me. Uh, yeah, and uh, that led to something uh, I feel very fortunate to have in my life. Well, I really do appreciate uh, what you've shared with us. And, and I'll just kind of dovetail off of that, that uh, um, my, uh, it sounds kind of strange. One of my best, one of my best days, because people come up with all kinds was actually um, uh, a period of time following my father's passing this year and realizing that um, at least now he understands because he's there on the other side, at least I'd like to think he understands now that he had a major role in spite of what he used to think uh, in our lives, in creating us, in bringing us into being with my mother, and then um, teaching us the things that he taught us, the work that he did, et cetera, et cetera. And I just feel so proud of the fact that I am carrying on, uh, even though I won't carry on his name through any children that I could have had, I carry on his name through the work that I do. 
and uh, and I'm very proud of that fact. And I'm always uh, have always been very proud of the fact that he uh, was and is my father. And uh, I don't know how many other folks can say that. I'm just very glad that uh, I can honestly say, uh, Andrew, that um, I have I have no regrets as far as communication with my father. We left nothing unsaid. If and, I may make a suggestion. Yes, John. please. Um, you know, my mom was basically a creative person who did various arts. You know, she 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 taught me. You know, like what what can you make uh, of something? And I, I see something here that uh, uh, that might be a good thing for you to make. I, mm -hmm. Certainly, if you had children, but I imagine you have nieces and nephews, maybe. I do indeed. Yes. Yes. So. Um, your father is a an ancestor of them. Um, you may not be directly an ancestor sure. mm -hmm. of them, but your father. Uh, so I I did I wrote something I called my heirloom project, and people can find it on one of the portals on my website. I like that um, about things that we can pass on uh, to the, co the coming generation. I think that um, a gift to your nieces and nephews would be for you to write up something about what you have carried forward about your father that gives them a portrait of what you think is valuable about their ancestor. Um, it will be a portrait of your father that you embody through the things you just referred to. Mm. And I think that that their children will also have this as their ancestor. And the portrait that you paint of this man, who's worth celebrating, apparently, mm -hmm. for the things that he taught and the things that he modeled, I guess, in mm -hmm. the way he worked, yeah, that um, make him a worthy ancestor. Your dad, their grandfather. Yeah, it's um, and I have to say uh, in closing that uh, he was a good looking man all the way right up almost up until the end of his life. He was a good looking guy. And my mom, uh, uh, she she did quite well and he did quite well by her as well. Uh, Andrew, again, thank you so much for joining us here. And we look forward to having you back again for another stimulating conversation. Well, I, I, I am grateful to you for having me on again. You are very welcome. Look forward I, to the next time, too. I, we will do it again. I promise you, folks. And you, uh, thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol. Jeanette, I am listening. Dad, continue to be happy. And my friend Doug, I will be laughing at all of our fun we had together over the last 53 years.